This is Beyond the Dog with Lynn Bokey. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I hope everybody's doing well. I'm going to make this brief because my guest today is Tyler Mudo. And if you don't know him, he's the president, the current president of the IACP, International Association of Canine Professionals. He's known all over the world, has done seminars and workshops everywhere. He's a very intelligent guy, and I got him on the, on the show for a little bit. As you know, I have a program where I travel around and consult trainers and pack walkers and uh, even clients anywhere in the world. And Tyler invited me out to Buffalo to his facility, Canine Connection, to help him and his staff. I spent seven days with Tyler, and on the last day, I pumped him full of Starbucks, and I put a microphone in front of him, and I couldn't get him to shut up. Let me tell you, it took some editing magic to make him sound as intelligent as he does. I'm just kidding. Uh, This guy's uh, super smart, and uh, you know me. I like to talk. I can talk. I can't shut up either. And uh, I thought, man, I better better just bite my tongue while I have Tyler here, and and you'll, you'll hear me a couple of times actually biting my tongue. And uh, I really, I, I just sat back a lot and just listened to him. He's He's got a lot to say, he's been around, and as I said, uh, Tyler's understanding of of dogs and the science behind how they, they learn is, is uh, top notch. And I actually learned a lot uh, while I was there with him. We had a long conversation and we talked about everything from his dog Lobo, Malinois, wonderful Malinois on his side drive, educational responsibility. We talked about dominance, mastery of skill, ritualized aggression, and and how completely different uh, the two of us are and how we meet at the same place. We talk about science and natural ability. We talk about imprint learning and and how relationships uh, can be imprinted. We talk about group socialization, kung fu and the moment that you're in, and ego. We talk a lot about ego, actually, and how it holds us back and and all the dangers of not letting it go and and understanding um, how, how to be. So like I said, it's a bit of a conversation. So sit back and enjoy yourself and, and uh, I believe that you're gonna, you're gonna learn a few things. Well, since we're talking about learning something new, did I tell you about Consider the Dog yet? Well, Consider the Dog is quickly becoming the top resource for informative and educational videos about dog behavior. Consider the Dog has brought together some of the most respected dog behavior experts in the industry and created a central hub of knowledge to help people live in harmony with their dogs. Whether you're a dog owner looking to resolve problems or deepen your relationship, or a professional looking to broaden your knowledge base and skill, you will love the content at considerthedog.com. They not only have videos that you can purchase, they have a monthly subscription, and it's really inexpensive. And uh, since uh, since you know me, I don't tell everybody in the world this, but since you know me, you can get an extra 10% off, all right? But you gotta put in a coupon code, Bokey. That's B-O-Y-K-E, all right? And that's 10% off site-wide. Go check it out, considerthedog.com. Yeah, so here we go. Well, you know, let me get you the email details. Askbeyondthedog at gmail.com. Again, that's askbeyondthedog at gmail.com. Send me your questions, send me your comments, send me your concerns, send me your favorite color if you want to. All right, now, here we go. My conversation with Tyler Mudo. There was a point where I... Did, I think I even asked you, well, why am I here? Mm-hmm. I mean, your operation is so smooth and I'm impressed. I mean, you've got it down to a science. I don't know how you can step away 
as much as you do. I, I guess maybe I'm more of a control freak. I worry about everything, but you literally are able to step back. You're there to to uh, to benefit the staff that it benefits the clients, but you're not uh, a major part of that. Mm-hmm. I, seriously, I don't know how you can do it. Yeah, <laughs> it took a long time. I had to train myself to, to be able to be comfortable letting go of certain things. Um, but the problem is without doing that, the staff never grows and develops because you know my tendency would just be to do everything for them. Like, oh, just give me the leash, let me do it. Yeah. You have to be okay with stepping back. And, and while they're, you know, a newer staff person is growing or developing, being able to step back and watch them do something slightly incorrectly, recognizing that the only way they're going to learn to do it correctly is for them to actually do it incorrectly a few times and then have the experience when a few days later, wait, how come this lesson hasn't stuck? Without letting them have that experience on a on a visceral level of the being frustrated that what they're doing hasn't been working, then when they learn the correct way, you know it doesn't have the same impact. If you just tell them, they have to feel it. They have to they have to understand the 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 natural consequences of what happens if I do this instead of this. That's how I learned. You know, was making the mistakes, and then when the client shows up and oh my god, the dog wasn't proofed as well as I thought they were. That's what forced me or drove me to like, I got to do better. Now, when I do this program down the line, I really need to be prepared for other people that have such a tight ship and uh, not feel lost because I'm there for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was interesting because I could, um, you know, you said that to me early on, you know, man, I'm, I'm not even sure what I'm doing here because you guys, you know, you watched me do a consult and at the end you're like, that's pretty much exactly what I would do. <laughs> um, and, almost uh, word for word. Just and, uh, you know, even though we have things dialed in, I mean, it was absolutely as the week went on. Uh, I mean, without a doubt, there was absolute value in in having you here i mean it was worth every penny it was worth the effort of planning the whole thing and taking the time out of my routine that's the bigger part really for me um because my emails are piled up now and i got all this stuff to catch up on next week (laughs) Uh, but uh but it was worth it to watch my staff grow and to watch um just how much the things you were teaching really resonated with them um and and help them to just sort of, uh, I, th- I think the, the theme of the week was like slow down, Absolutely. you know, like that was totally the theme of the week. And so to watch the, almost like the, um, the weight that was lifted off of them as they mm-hmm. realized that they can, that by slowing things down, they're, they're like, they're actually going to speed things up. Right. Um, and so they don't need to be in a rush. They don't need to have that anxiety, um, which, and the stress, and not only is it going to improve the dog work, but for me as the employer, um, where I was able to start, especially as we got into like midway through the week, you know, Wednesday, hump day, yep. um, where I was just sitting back and watching you work with them. And um, as an employer, it's really nice to see, uh, I can I can already see how the things that you taught is actually gonna improve uh, their work life, their work experiences, um, their day-to-day stress, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's worth its weight in gold, you know, is I want, I want my employees to have a good quality of life. So anything that we can do that improves that, of course it's great to improve also the way we train, but when improving the way you train also improves your experiences and the way you feel at the end of the day, then it's, it's, uh, it's a win-win and, and you, can't, you, you can't put a, um, a value on that, you know what I mean? Each one of them had that, that one, one moment where the weight literally fell off and you could see it in their faces and 
I saw Lisa. She went further on than uh, than I had been teaching to the mm-hmm. to the goal. Uh, yeah, I was impressed. Yeah, it was interesting too because the first day you weren't sure how much she um, was really motivated, uh, how invested she was in the change. And I told you, remember, I told you first thing about her. I said, you know, the thing about Lisa is you tell her to do something, she's going to do it. You know, again, I, I, I. I'm proud of my team and, and to see one of them step up and just really, she put the effort in even when, you know, she thought we weren't looking, right? you know, right. and, um, and just every day, every day since, um, it's been, uh, it's been better and better. Like yesterday, some of the moving the dogs, the daycare dogs, you know, inside and just watching her do it. And it was just like, it was like, she's been doing it for years. You exactly. know what I mean? It's just, it was calm. It was nice. It was good. That, that little bit of frustration that we saw was gone on the last day. Mm-hmm. I hope it sticks too, so. Yeah, man. Your place is clean. It's, um, I walked in, you probably heard me every yeah. time I walk into a new room. <laughs> you were like a dog doing detection work. Yep. I could hear your nose huffing and puffing. <laughs> I mean, it, it's serious. That's bad for clients to walk in and go, ooh. Yep, yep. And uh, I've had places like that, I'm like, how can you, you can't smell that? Yeah, no, we take pride in, in our, I in the tell. environment. You know I what I mean? Tell. You have to. Mm. Didn't that cut off? See, I'm so, so bad with technology. How, how, how freaked out were you? I don't even know how to do this. I had to do my step-by-step <laughs> step to get this watching, podcast. Watching YouTube videos to <laughs> yeah. set up the podcast uh, no, this morning. No, it was morning. a test, uh, 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 tutorial. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it must have been unsettling when I show up and I, I don't know what words you're saying. I've never heard that before. I don't know that trainer. Yeah, no, it doesn't bother me. Um, you know, I, for me, um, I like the technical stuff. I like reading the science. I like, you know, you know, it's a it's a personal thing. You know what I mean? I enjoy it. Um, I don't think for anybody out there, you know just because you don't know the words or you're not familiar with the studies or whatever, it doesn't mean that you're not doing good work. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that we forget a lot is, um, you know, like operant conditioning, learning theory, this stuff. The scientists didn't invent the way animals learn. They examined something that was already occurring. Mm. There were already people training animals effectively before the scientists said, yeah, but exactly why does that occur, right? And so the science is, it's just, I find it interesting, but, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that, that they focus on that, they focus on the words, you know, to me, they're just words. Like, I, I like them, mm-hmm. I enjoy, um, I enjoy being able to articulate things in a, in a clear way, uh, but they're just words, man. My lack of, uh formal education and he's got somebody like you in front of you it's almost embarrassing i mean it is embarrassing but you made me feel really comfortable to learn it all right there because you you just go and you give me all these studies you tell me the names of the people you tell me how the study went you're an encyclopedia man yeah it's amazing yeah that's that's like i said that's that's uh that's hobby interest 
you know? Yeah, but you apply it really well. Yeah, of course, of course. But you apply it too without knowing what that you're applying something that was done in this study back in 1968 and blah, 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 but you're still applying the principles that were studied. Right. Right, because again, the study wasn't to invent something new that wasn't occurring before. The study was, hey, this thing occurs all the time. Anytime animals are learning, let's examine it so we understand all the details of it. I mean, that's... It, it validates me a little bit, knowing that yeah. I'm doing these things that I'd never studied before. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know that some of the stuff that you were doing has been actually proven out, you know? Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, and that's the thing, you, you know, you get with the dog trainers these days, that there's especially the, um, you know, the more, the people with more extreme sort of polarizing viewpoints will say, oh, well, you know, let's let's take Caesar, right? He's one of your mentors. You know, he's often criticized. Well, our training is science-based right. training. So is Caesar's. Just because he can't speak the scientific lingo doesn't mean that everything he's doing hasn't been hashed out in science. Right. I mean, I can, I can, you can show me a Caesar video, and I can tell you every time what he does is negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, negative punishment, positive punishment, classical conditioning. He doesn't say this is negative reinforcement, or he can't, he maybe can't define that term. Doesn't mean he's not doing science-based training. You know what I mean? And that's what people forget. Um, you know, there's an old saying. Uh, carpenters were driving nails into wood before physicists could understand why it could occur. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that the science is always behind the practitioners in the field. The science is there to explain, hey, look at what these people are doing. Why is that possible? How is that possible? The science is there to explain that. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and I think people forget that a lot. You know, well, you don't forget it, but you also forget the ego part. You don't lord that information over. You don't try to, you know. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. And I when I saw it. your your work with the, your consultation, I was even I was impressed, man. Yeah. I was really impressed. You go nice and slow. You're very articulate with the the client, and I I hadn't seen anybody be able to introduce a dog like that and understand. Uh, it wasn't a major to understand yeah, that yeah. that dog was not being aggressive. Yeah, he may have been behaving in aggressive fashion because it's just the body mechanics and the sound. But the only reason why was because he was frustrated that he didn't have the opportunity to socialize. Yeah, and over time, when you don't have that, and you don't have that, and you don't have that, and you don't have that, why can't I have it? And now it's yeah. Yeah. Now it's like, oh my God, my dog wants to kill everybody. Yeah, and and so the backstory for the the uh, the listeners. Um, so this couple came to me. They had really only had this dog for maybe one or two months. They adopted him from the SPCA. Really Beautiful. nice German Shepherd. Beautiful. Like really nice dog. The SPCA already had him labeled as dog aggressive. Like, mm -hmm. do not put him around dogs because of how um, reactive he was on leash. And so they. You know, they oftentimes mislabel leash reactivity as, as dog aggression, and, and they can be correlated, but they're not always. And, um, but the first people that adopted them, basically, even though the SPCA said that, uh, as the story goes, they, they basically left the SPCA with him and took him right to a dog park. To a dog park. Um, which again, I mean, aside from the fact that he's already frustrated, um, he's with new people that he doesn't know or trust yet. It's just so many changes, and then to bring him in there, and so, um, it doesn't sound like he actually was in a big fight. It sounds like, you know, he, just he saw a dog and started to get, dragged you know, the all, across the... Yeah, and, and uh, got all fired up. And then they brought him out of there and they brought him right back to the SPCA. And then this couple adopted him. 
And right away, they noticed their neighbor across the street, who's their dog's behind the fence. Every time he saw the dog, he's losing his mind. They were, they tried to like bring him near to try to introduce, but he was just like a piranha on the end of a leash. Mm-hmm. And so they really thought they had this dog aggressive dog when they came to me. And in the waiting room, you could see how anxious and nervous they were about oh, yeah. the experience when we were talking to them. And um, and uh, you know, I brought him outside first just to see what does he do when he sees the dogs on the other side of the fence, and he's mm-hmm. barking wow, and he and exactly. da, da, da. We got some video of that. There's a wood chipper there. And then I brought him in. I just wanted him to kind of know who I was and I wanted to know him a little bit better. And it was only maybe what, 15 minutes of just kind of working him a little bit inside on leash, just letting him get to know me. And then we brought him right out and just boom, right away into the pack. Mm -hmm. And off he goes, just like hanging out. (laughs) He's like totally fine. Um, I don't think we even corrected him at all. When I brought him back out to the yard after I worked with that 15 minutes, I'm not, I don't think we ever knew. He barked once or twice, but I didn't let him get frustrated. I, I, I let him go right up to the gate. I didn't hold him back at all. I didn't restrict like, oh no, this dog might just let him go right up to the gate. And, and he did a couple barks, but you could tell by the sound that they were frustration barks. I think actually one of the first ones he did, he barked and then play bowed. Yeah, he did right at the same the time. Like he was just conflicted. Right and I was just like, this, do. your dog's not aggressive. And then we just opened the gate and boom, it was done. Yeah, it was, it was good. And now they, they contacted you and said that things are, they can walk by dogs now. Yeah, it's been two days. And they're yeah. like, they're like, yeah, we'll we're walking by three dogs. hours with them. They had one setback where um, there was a dog they didn't notice. Oh. And and then that dog barked or something at them, and and they just didn't notice it, so it caught everybody off guard. And but they it, said, other than that one setback, he's they're like, yeah, he's, he's walking, you know, where he needs to be. He's not, he's ignoring the dogs now. It's boom, just from that one day of of them kind of understanding their dog a little bit better and and being able to see, you know, the lens through which their dog is observing mm-hmm. the world instead of seeing it from a human lens of he's being aggressive. Yeah. Well, I hope they keep coming back because that's just the start. I mean, they just really started. Yeah. They they don't even have their full understanding yep. of how to move themselves yep. with yep. him, and that lens will get clouded soon yep. if they don't. Well, they already set up some follow up oh, stuff to come in. So they were yeah. really nice people, super was, nice people. Yeah, and that was just one day. And you know what I love is you know the people they just got that dog. It's not like they have this long bond with right. him, and so to invest time. the time and the money and the energy. Um, with a dog that you just got, so many people would just be like, ah, it's not the right dog, back to the SPCA, let's pick a different one. Yeah. Um, but for them to say, no, 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 we chose this dog and we're committed. They were. And right off the bat with a dog that was supposed to be an inexpensive rescue dog to invest the money and the time into training. Um, and they don't have a lot of money. I mean, they expressed mm. that right off the bat. Um, you could have easily pushed a board and train, pushed a board and train. When you just, you don't need that, let us just give you what, what we can get the best, um, how do you say it, the best bang for your buck. That's not even normally how I do a consultation. Usually I have them leave the dog with me for a little bit and then come back. But I I said, I want them to experience and see Mm -hmm. every part of it. um, Because for what they needed to be able to do, that they needed to understand every piece of that puzzle, you know. So I had them just stay and... and, Well, the initial shock of once you bring the dog out, didn't even bark. Uh, when we were just out there 15 minutes earlier, that sh- that shocks people. Then they start to really pay attention, and then exactly. they really want to make sure that they it's possible. It's just us. Exactly. Yeah, you just got to show them what their dog's capable of. And right away, I mean, that's the thing that people don't understand. How many trainers today who don't who th- who only understand the traditional 
obedience and, and they're not looking at it from the dog's perspective or they don't understand aggression. A lot of people don't understand aggression. They don't understand um, social behavior. And um, they'd spend days and hours and hundreds of the client's dollars doing these things when we had that dog in an off-leash group of 15 dogs within the first half hour he was with us. Mm -hmm. Um, It just doesn't... Silliness, right? Then you get the other people, the other side, who, well, I saw they do it. I saw Tyler do it in 15 minutes. I have to do it in 15 minutes. Yeah. And they either get dogs hurt, themselves hurt, or they overpower. Just, just the clients themselves thought that an e-collar would be the best thing for them. Thank God they said, "I don't know how to use this. Yeah. I'm not going to do that." Yeah. Just imagine where that dog would be with the improper use of, of tools. Yeah. I think the yeah. education... And he doesn't need an e-collar. I he mean, does. That was a... I mean, they use an e-collar. If they if they want, like, off-leash reliability, mm-hmm. then we'll e-collar train the dog. But for his for his behavioral issue, you don't oh, need an e-collar. He just needed to be that. understood. Yeah. And that's yeah. a big thing. I was impressed by that. Yeah, it was cool. It was a nice session. It was pretty yeah. typical. Pretty typical for a behavior consult. It's often situations like that. You know, it looks magical. But it's really, it's really not. It's just know? an understanding. Yeah. And I like, like I, my old facility, I would have walked all the way in right off, off the bat. I like how you, just to test the waters, one, maybe two, ah, open it up. Yep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like that a lot. That dog, uh, Fred, mm-hmm. his nails. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it didn't, once he understood he wasn't going to get hurt, he gave it all yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, we just took our time, and Barb loved that. Barb loves trimming nails; she's great yeah. at it. Yeah, so it's perfect it because was. you hate trimming nails. I hate trimming nails. She she doesn't enjoy the aggression part. I love you. The don't aggression. enjoy the nail trimming part. So we just stuck the two of you together. You made it, one perfect team. It was perfect. That guy's nails trimmed. It was great. Yeah, that's the one of the reasons why I show my weaknesses to people, mm-hmm. uh, especially people in training. Like, look, you have this this problem but I have the same problem but in this area and we're going to come together and I'm going to show you yeah just like with the the pack walk I was just going to say the pack walk <laughs> the leashes well I started off by yeah. saying I would never use these types of leashes so many yeah. different kinds so many different lengths but I'm going to use them so that you can see me work through challenge yeah yeah so that you can understand that everybody has a difficult time with one thing or another yeah it's all about taking your time yeah it's okay if it's not perfect it's not it's not a problem yeah. and it's okay to say that was another thing it's okay this dog doesn't we shouldn't take this dog in the group right now because yeah it would be bad then we found another one that shouldn't be in that group they saw that it was okay to say no i always say if you can't say no you have no business saying yes yeah yeah absolutely but that, yeah. i tell you what though i was I was struggling there with those leashes and that. I know, it was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing I liked about that, I think this is an important message for everybody. One of your last podcasts was about professional responsibility and responsible yeah. teaching and stuff like that. So um, we don't do a tremendous amount of pack walking in my facility. You've seen that. It's just yeah. not, it's not really like a big part of our repertoire. We do it occasionally, um, and it's a little bit different from how you do it. So I was like, well, this guy's here. One of your specialties is pack walk, so, like, let's do this like let's see how lynn pack walks dogs i mean we might say we like doing pack walks more or whatever and so we sort of put this pressure on you we said lynn's gonna take these how many dogs do you want lynn i don't give me all of them i'll take eight whatever you know and so there was this this expectation that lynn's gonna take all eight of these dogs and we're gonna go on a pack walk 
and you started in the room and within five minutes, like you said, you said, oh, this we got this dog's not right for right now. We just get rid of him. And then, you know, you were, you were um, dealing with the leash thing. And so instead of going outside, we just went out to our yard, which is sort of long and narrow. And you just practiced walking them up and down. And, I, you know, a lot of um, people that teach, and again, I mean, I, I've traveled around the world. I've seen a lot of other professionals. And I think even for myself early on, I had this problem. Um, this is actually where I was going with one of my stories last night, and then we got totally sidetracked like we did 20 <laughs> times. Um, you know, we never actually went out on the street with those dogs yesterday. And there was no moment where you seemed um, like for your own ego, you had to make it out to the street and prove prove that you could that pack I'm, walk those dogs right away. That's my specialty. Yeah, it just because we sort of, we, we and I mean, we, framed it that way we framed it like oh lynn's especially he's like a master pack walker da 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 but i think that's the part of the mastery is when it's okay to say hey you know what right now the pack walk is just gonna be right here because if we don't get it right right here it would be irresponsible for Mm -hmm. us to go on the street yeah um and that was a really that was really refreshing to see um that you really had no ego in it. You didn't, it was very clear that you had nothing to prove about yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're just taking your time and, and that's what we did and we stayed in the yard and, and everybody really enjoyed it and I think everybody got what they needed to get out of the experience and it was safe Yeah. and it was done responsibly and I think that's a really important thing. One of my teachers early on told me if anybody ever asks you to do a seminar, uh, do it because you'll learn a lot. And so I never, you know, the thing about me is I never, um, I didn't set out to do seminars. It wasn't like one day I decided I want to start teaching seminars and shadow programs. I'm going to put it on my website and done it. I didn't even know what a shadow program was back then. I don't even know if many people did. It wasn't a thing like it is today. But anyhow, this rescue asked me to do a seminar and I was a little bit apprehensive about it, but I said, okay. Um, and I did it for free because the fuck who, who was I back then you know what I mean I'm sure I'm willing to come out it was in Rhode Island so I just asked them if you can cover my travel expenses I have no problem it was for a rescue it was for their like yearly gathering um, and so it wasn't something that I ever sought out to do and then and then more and more people started asking me to do it um, and even then I still didn't have it on my website or anything like that it was just if you if you ask okay and I remember early on I had this sort of complex that if somebody asked me a question, I had to know the answer because I'm the seminar presenter. I'm up front. So if I don't know the answer to the question, then I have no business being the seminar presenter. So even if I didn't really have the answer, I would sort of pretend to. But it took me, it took me a while as I, as I would, you know, developed as a professional um, to the point where I, I, I actually understood that it was okay to not have the answer. It, it was really okay is. to say, you know, that's a great question. I'm actually not sure about that. Um, here's my thoughts on it, but I'm not 100%. Or I've never actually encountered that scenario before. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then treat it as maybe a thought experiment. Um, but in the beginning, there was this ego thing. There was an ego thing, right? Like my ego couldn't handle the fact that I'm supposed to be the seminar presenter and somebody brings me a question that I don't know the answer to. That can't be, that's, yeah. you know what I mean? And so that's what I appreciated about yesterday because it was that same it was that same quality that it's, hey, I know you guys expected me to get these dogs on a pack walk, but 
I'm not putting these dogs on the street. Right. I might drop a leash because I'm not used to these leashes. And I think it takes a certain amount of experience uh, to be able to do that. You know, you have to be at a certain level of, of experience and, and wisdom uh, and, and good judgment, you know, to be able to make those kinds of responsible choices, you know, mm. um, which is why it is important to um, seek out educators who have put the hours in with their boots on the ground and their hands mm. on a leash. Right. Um, because mistakes will be made. They need to be made. They must. Um, but we did a pack walk. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. one of them did a pack walk. It just wasn't just not on the street. And that behavior expectation drill, you guys could do for the next year just for leash dexterity. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you never even have to go on the street until one day, Lisa or Kate or Danielle or Sammy says, hey, can I take all eight? Mm-hmm. You might, I'm sure you might say, uh, I'll kind of go with you. Yeah. <laughs> How about four? <laughs> and, and that's the other thing, too. When, when you have a couple of people walking several dogs, people think they got to have the dogs behind them. Mm-hmm. And the, yes, the one up front should. But the other dogs are only pulling because they want to get to the pack. To the pack. Yeah. And I, over and over again, I see people correcting the dog because they misunderstand. Instead that, of one pack walk, it's it's two or three pack yeah. walks like at, like on parade. Yeah, I put them know? all up in there. I said, don't yeah. worry about these dogs being in front of you. Look, they only want to be there. And now look, you're not pulling anymore. Yeah. They just need to get up there with the rest of the group. But I thought it was great to uh, uh, integrate each walker, mm-hmm. to have their opportunity to walk the all of the dogs. Yeah. I don't know how they felt about it, but you could see the difference as a pack walk versus the, the, the structured walk. Yeah, 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 yep. Yeah, that was a good moment. I think that was good for everybody to see. Um, and there's a level of trust there too when you when you have an educator there, um, and they make those kinds of judgments and say, "Hey, just because you guys expect me to do this thing, yeah. like, listen, <laughs> like I'm gonna do I'm gonna do the right thing." Yeah, you know. Um, and I think that that also brought everybody together even more, um, sort of around the experience of having you here and and the the insights. That, you know, again. Yeah, we're a well-oiled machine. We've got a good team in place, but um, the reason we're like that is because uh, one thing I cultivate and I, I hire for is a quality of um, having the desire to learn. Yeah, you know, the moment you think that you you already know it all and you don't need to learn more, that's the problem. You might as well hang up your leash yeah. right there. I that's mean, it's problem. just it's problematic, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Learn, practice, yeah. master, yeah. begin again. And that's what I told you. You know, you, you asked me a couple of weeks ago, I think it was before you were recording the podcast on, on educators, and you asked me about my seminars and shadow programs. I said, actually, I'm, I'm not doing any right now. Right. Um, and you asked why, and I said, because right now um, I need to focus on my continued growth. When I'm, if I'm constantly teaching, it's hard to develop new concepts and skills while you're teaching and I don't think it's fair or right to teach a skill until you've given yourself the time and experience to Mm -hmm. practice it it's uh it's an amazing thing to step back and say I I'm not ready not that you couldn't do it Mm -hmm. I'm not ready to show other people because then it bleeds down Mm -hmm. and incomplete understanding goes exactly all the way to the client exactly exactly I've only been doing this uh 
11 or 12 years or something like that right now, you know what I mean? Like Imagine. Yeah, so like I told you that I, I started the dog psychology part of my journey at 34, 35, and you are how old? 35. Shit, man. Yeah. Imagine where you're gonna be when you get to my age, 50. Yeah. But you, but but that only happens if you continue growing, right? You know what I mean. And, right. and I think that's the problem with. I peaked early, you know. Like I, I got for whatever reason. I think it was sort of it was a little bit of timing because when I first started putting videos out, not a lot of people were. Social media was still in its infancy back mm-hmm. then, um, so it didn't take a lot to get the spotlight shown on you. Um, I think that was part of it. Uh, I think if it were today, if I were just starting as a dog trainer today, I, I may not ever become as well known as I am, I think part of it was the timing of it. Cause I, again, I didn't seek out, my early videos were just for, to try to attract local clients. It wasn't because I wanted to be seen on the national stage or anything. I right. had no intentions or desire for that. Um, so, you know, having that kind of stuff happen early, then I think it's easy to get then accidentally stuck there mm-hmm. where now you're in the routine of, I mean, I was, I was on the road teaching, um, I was on the road every month you know, for five years. Um, and again, if you're constantly doing that, it's really hard to do that and then simultaneously continue to grow and develop in a true way. Because otherwise you you learn something, oh, that was a really cool thing, you practice it for a month and then you're teaching it at your next seminar. And, um, and you haven't fully realized the parameters of when it works, why it works, how it works, and when, and especially when it doesn't work or when maybe you push it a little far, or whatever it is you're working on, you gotta give yourself time, you know? You gotta give yourself time to just practice and practice and practice and and, um, and dive into whatever it is that you're currently focusing on, know the parameters of it, and then bring it back into what you've previously known. And then it becomes whole, yeah. and then you can teach it, you know? And then you become what, what it is that you thought you needed to be yeah. at that moment. Like, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm 50, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm just now, I just now put my first video up. This is my 12th podcast. Uh, uh. Is it, you got plenty of time. Yeah. There's so much time. Yep, yep. And the dogs deserve you taking your time. Yep, yeah. But well, it's like that, um, uh, the hurting exercise that you were showing this week. Yeah. Right? You know, we talked about that a lot. We were doing a happenstance that we did. It just did happened. That. Yeah. But it know, was, let's bring that down. we do a similar thing as far as using, um, our movement and eye contact and body language to move dogs and control their space. Uh, but the way we were doing it was not nearly as refined as what you demonstrated. And so what you demonstrated was, um, was new in that sense, right? It wasn't conceptually new, but technique-wise, it was new. So now, after you leave, I'm going to be out there in the daycare just moving dogs around because it's a, it's, a great, too, don't it's a great technique. But again, I got to get my hours in, yes. you know, and then maybe someday in a seminar, something happens, I say, I could do this. Yeah. But if I were, okay, Lynn Bokey came here this week and oh, I, I, he, she showed me this cool thing I hadn't really seen before. And then next month I have a seminar booked. There's a decent chance that I'm, I'm gonna, within the month between now and then, I'm already starting to practice this thing a lot. And then a situation comes up in a seminar, I go, okay, well, where I'm at right now, I wanna do this thing that I just learned, but I'm not that freaking good at it yet. <laughs> And these people just paid to see me in a seminar, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's where you just gotta step back sometimes and just focus on your own growth and development. And that's what I'm doing right now. And, and um, 
uh, to be honest with you, I'm out there doing that herding stuff. I hadn't done it in years because I, I haven't had a facility. I'm sitting there in my mind. I know what I'm doing with the dog, and I know the dog understands me. I'm, in my mind, I'm like, are they are they uh, enjoying this? Are they I was liking super, this? It was super cool to like, watch. It was really cool to watch. And again, you know how much time I take with the dogs, even though I was thinking you guys might not have been into it, mm-hmm. I didn't care how long it took because I'd already started a conversation with the dog. Yeah. It didn't matter to me. It didn't matter, yeah. And it, yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to do that because it's been so long. Yeah. Well, it seemed like something that you, like I would have guessed just by watching you do it, it seemed like something that's like a regular part of your routine. You know what I mean? Because it was it was pretty cool to watch and I could see the value of it, um, especially when you're working with, I mean, probably the reason you say you don't do it that much anymore is because you don't have any facilities, so you don't have a large pack that right. you're working with on a regular basis. Um, but if you're working with a, a group of off-leash dogs, I mean, I could absolutely see the value of, um, uh, you know, having that level of control over the group uh, from a distance. I enjoy doing that so much. It's one of the one of the things I I really miss about not having a facility. Cause I used to do that all the time, all the time. Not with one dog, with all of them. Sure. You know. Yeah. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. It was. It was very cool. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, that's that's the thing. Oh, so you learn it, you adapt, you bring it in, and then you know, eventually it'll be something so right now i'll go out in the yard and practice just that technique and then eventually it might be something that's subtly woven into all the other stuff that we were already doing Mm -hmm. but you can't bring it into all the other stuff as part of the whole until you understand it in isolation like we were talking about that the other day when when i first uh learned low level e-collar stuff years and years and years ago before it was really popularized a, I thought I invented it, which I, which I didn't. I realized later, uh, thanks to YouTube. Um, but, uh, um, but what I did was I put all the other tools on the shelf. I gave myself just an e-collar and a long line and said, what can I do with just this? But that's how I mastered the tool. And then I did the same thing with my leash work. When I really started realizing how much you could communicate and how much oh you could... Even even so um, listen mm-hmm. with the leash. I put the e collars away. I put everything else away, and, and I said, "What can I do with just a leash?" And I would work on getting the dogs to balance on weird objects that was sort of awkward for them. But can I get this dog to understand that I need all four of its feet perched on this tiny thing with using nothing but a leash? And it's not that that was the best way to teach it. I probably could have taught that the same way skill. To practice it. Yeah, I could have taught the dog to balance on a weird object um, probably much faster. Um, with positive reinforcement, but that wasn't the goal. The goal of the exercise was to develop feel through the leash. And in order to do that, I, if I allowed myself to use positive reinforcement, it would have, it would have cut into the potential that I could have learned about leash handling. And so one of the reasons that, uh, people now, um, really like my leash work or they like what I do with the leash is because of that, those hours I spent, I mean, hours and hours and hours just working dogs for the heck of, let me see what's possible if I drop everything else and just use this one thing and then bring it into the hole. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but you got to give yourself that time. That's the other thing I, I think is a, is sort of a blessing and a curse these days. The other thing we've talked a lot about is how um, we're both a little bit jealous of people who are starting now. Right. Because oh. of the available information that's accessible. We, we didn't have that. No. Seminars were few and far between. YouTube wasn't a thing. Facebook wasn't a thing. You didn't really know who to look at or whatever. It was difficult. Um, and so there was a lot of self-education. And um, so it's it's really like, I, I know trainers today that have been training dogs for two years that are at a level of skill that took me five or six years to get to. And they're you know? just starting. And they're just starting out. Um, but the flip side of that is, the thing I'm seeing a lot of people do that I think can be problematic is jumping from one seminar or one shadow program to the next without giving yourself time with what you just learned. To practice that. To practice that. it. See where it works for you. See where it doesn't work for you. See the parts of it you like. See the parts of it you don't like. Integrate it into your system. Okay, then go to the next one. Mm -hmm. Then go to the next seminar. We used to maybe go to one seminar a year if we were lucky, you know? And then you had a whole year. And we were literally, we would buy all in. If I went to a seminar, it was because I trusted the person, you know? And I would and I would learn what they had to teach, and I'd say, okay, you say do it this way, I'm gonna go all into your system. Yep. And I had a whole year of going fully into what they're teaching, and inevitably with everything, you're gonna say, ah, there's yeah. these parts of it I like, there's these parts of it I disagree with. Mm -hmm. um, okay, and cool, bring it into the whole, great. Now I'm ready to see somebody else's. But if you're jumping from one to the next every month or every two months, you don't get that. And what you what starts to happen, what I see a lot with the, the newer generation of trainers is a lot of confusion mm -hmm. because they're getting told a lot of different things. And all of those things have some truth to them. It's not that they're wrong. It's just that everybody has a different perspective. Right. You know, we talked about this last night. You know, my the things that I value in my life are different than the things that you value in your life, you know, and uh, and, and couldn't and that, be as far opposite, you know, yeah, completely. But what we do is yeah, so strong and the same. Yeah. So so you know, one of the things that um, Lynn and I had dinner last night. We had a really nice steak dinner last night, and um, really nice. It was good, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, we were talking about some of the things of, of how we differ. Um, and one thing I know about myself is in the, in the I think it's like, I forgot the name, it's like Laszlo's hierarchy of needs or something like that. Um, my, my top need is security, right? So there's a lot of the way I train and the way I run my business and the way I operate my life and the way I interact with people, uh, both privately and professionally. Um, is because my number one need is to feel secure, is to to um, sort of be able to predict the future a little bit better, to plan, you know, um, and that's going to color the way I might approach also a certain exercise with a dog, you know. I'm going to take it on a path that I I, I can sort of see ahead of me, uh, whereas for Lynn. It was Gosh, more risk and danger. Yeah, risk, right? Like kind of being on the edge. Yeah, you know, you you're walking the edge. I'm going from a distance. Look how beautiful the edge is <laughs> from the comfort of my own home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and so when you were training, there was one of the moments where um, 
I was having a hard time understanding what you were doing with the, with that cattle dog. And I'm not gonna explain the whole training thing because it was it, it would take too much, but Lynn was working with this very fearful cattle dog um, and showing us how he would do it. Um, and I was having a real hard time wrapping my head around it. And the whole time I'm going like, yeah, but I, I would just go about this differently. Um, I just, this, this seems to be more challenging than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because that's coming from the lens that I view the world through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Secure. Yeah, that's the lens I view the world through. So in the lens that I view the world through, what Lynn was doing doesn't feel right. But in the lens that he views the world through, it feels perfect. It felt And so amazing. I can't fully judge what he's doing as better or worse, right or wrong, because I'm not Lynn Bokey. Right. I haven't had Lynn Bokey's life experiences and I don't see the world through the same filters that he sees the world. And at the end of the day, the result was there. Right. Right. Um, and the bond was The deeper. result was there. The bond was there. The dog was unharmed. Not that you were doing anything that would potentially harm the dog, but, you know, I think that's another thing. I think in this industry, especially, we're so quick to judge each other just because... Again, there's all these different teachers out there and you bounce around and this person's telling me this and this person's telling me that and it's so confusing. Oh, yeah. But you gotta understand, it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong. It's just that they have different worldviews and different values. So they're gonna approach the same problem differently. There's many roads to the top of the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and um, I can see where it can be so confusing for somebody starting out today. Um, I just think, you know, I, I appreciate people's desire to like, I wanna learn and so I'm gonna go to all these seminars. But if you really wanna learn, if you really wanna get good, go to one seminar and then don't go to another one for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, and just absorb the information. You, or, or if you go to another one, it should be the same person. Yeah, so that you can you know begin again yeah, on the same thing. I did thing. that with Barb Ellen for mm-hmm. a couple of years. I just went to a bar balance seminar, another bar balance seminar, another. It took, I think, three before I actually understood really what he was doing. And so that's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy how much available information there is out there. And it's, it's a web. It's like uh, a very tangled web. It is amazing to think yeah. back yeah. how little access we all had. Yeah. I think we mentioned earlier already that uh, I think like the theme of the week was sort of... Um, like slow down, yeah. you know, just slow down, like take a breath. Um, one of the main things that that uh, you were doing all week was working with my daycare staff. My daycare staff um, right now is very new, so really novice. So there's a lot still that they need to learn, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring bring you in to kind of you know work with them on some of these things. And we did a lot with the doorways, with showing them how to better manage the gate behavior and the the thing that you picked up on right away that I think was so valuable was that one of the problems was that in their mind, they had this perception that they had to get inside or outside wherever they were transferring the dogs, um, like by a certain time. Right or now. Like, it, like there was some sort of urgency or timeline that they had to do it quickly. Um, and so focusing on like, no, 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 no. The goal isn't to get outside the goal is to do the doorway yeah that's where you are that's what it is and and i mentioned um you know to me that's that's kung fu you know i've, I've 
done martial arts a decent percentage of my life. Uh, and one of the things about Kung Fu is they say everything in life is Kung Fu. You know, so you have these sort of um, idyllic images of like the monks in the mountains, like sweeping the floor methodically, yeah. right? And sweeping the floor for them. And this actually does happen in monasteries that practice Kung Fu. Um, the sweeping the floor is considered part of their martial arts practice. It's part of the Kung Fu. Are you sweeping the floor? Um, is the act of sweeping the floor a task or an obstacle that's in your way to get to something else that you mm -hmm. actually want to do? Or are you fully invested into sweeping the floor, right? Mm -hmm. And how you do one thing is how you'll do everything. So if you sweep the floor hastily, well now you're in um, combat, you're sparring, and am I just throwing this punch because I wanna set it up for the next punch, or am I fully committed to this punch that I'm throwing, mm -hmm. right? And that's why they say it's all part of the practice. And so the doorway, I think they were viewing the doorway as not the priority. The priority is getting outside. The doorway is an obstacle yeah. in my way of getting outside. And I think that was the biggest shift. It wasn't a technique thing. It was that you identified that problem and we're able to help the team sort of collectively to understand, no, 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 the doorway's it. That's it, that's the goal. The goal is the doorway. It doesn't even, whether you get outside or not, it doesn't even matter. And it right. took about the two days before they could accept that they weren't gonna get in trouble if they didn't get in or get out. It took yeah. that two and days for them to realize, oh, I can, I can slow down and yep. then smooth. And we actually, as a, as a, a management team, so myself and, and my two managers, took the step immediately. I mean, within the first day that, that you identify this as an issue, Megan, my office manager, sent out an email to all our daycare clients hey, when you come to pick up your dog, it might take a couple extra minutes because our staff is really focusing on calmness around the gates and yada, yada, yada. And they, she put that out there so that the daycare staff knew just because so-and-so is here to pick up their dog, there's no rush. No rush. And of They're course, gonna, all the clients- They want their dog, they're yeah. gonna wait. <laughs> but all the clients were like, oh yeah, this is great. Yeah. Thank you, it's awesome. But the funny thing is, it's actually going faster. It, <laughs> so we didn't need to send that email um, for the clients. We needed to send the email for the staff. Letting the staff know that the client's not gonna be upset. It took the burden off the staff and now they went, oh, no, you're not just telling me I'm not in a rush. You actually showed me I'm not in a rush by taking that step to send the email to the customers. Um, and it just, it changed the, the stress level um, and the speed that they were doing things. And I think that's probably a huge thing for um, a lot of people, whether you're a daycare uh, worker or a trainer or even just a kennel tech, you know, letting dogs out of their kennels for bathroom breaks or feeding times is what you're doing right now is it. Mm -hmm. It's it. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter if you're cleaning up shit, right? This is it. Cleaning up shit is it until you're done cleaning up shit. Then think about the next thing you're doing. But don't be thinking about the next thing because then you're gonna not do a good job cleaning. Then you're gonna not do a good job at the gate. Whatever you're doing is the most important thing. Yep. Whatever you're doing right now or don't do it at all. Exactly.
It, it's, it's rule number something or other. Rule number nine. And that is when something's new and different, everything becomes new and different until that thing that's new and different becomes normal. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's sped up because it became normal. The became dogs, normal by Wednesday. Yeah. The dogs yeah, are like, yeah. okay, this is how you want me to behave now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so I think, um, I think that's the big thing, you know, for, for my daycare staff, I think that was the takeaway is whatever you're doing right now, is it an obstacle in your way of doing the next thing? Or are you fully committed to the task that you're doing right now? And it goes really deep in multiple ways because if it's an obstacle because I'm worried about losing my job, that uncertainty goes right into the dogs. Yep. If it's an obstacle because I want to get home so I can go to the concert, that's excitement. You know, yeah. got to do it now. Got to do it now. Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say, you know, yeah, just because we have a we have a rhythm going, we have a system in place. Um, you know, training wise, like we're doing really good rehabilitation work, but when you're in things, it's hard to see, you know, when you're, when you're in the middle of it. So I didn't recognize, I wasn't able to see how rushed the staff felt Mm -hmm. and that they really needed permission from the management, um, that they needed permission to slow down. I couldn't see that from within. And so like, yeah, even if every exact, even if every detail of the training and rehabilitation that we're doing was exactly the way you did it, which it's not, but even if it was, just those little things to have somebody from the outside come in, I think, I think business owners, you know, anybody who's a business owner who's listening to this, um, you know, it's valuable. Bring other, bring other professionals that you, you trust, that you don't have the experience, invite them in and accept their input um, because there's just things that you are not going to be able to see from when you're in it. There's just things you're not going to be able to see. You it's know? difficult. Yeah. So the, the uh, employees for the, the daycare are kind of like, they're sweeping the floor for you because it's your business. Exactly. And because they were rushed in, just like any dog, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to do this. It seems to be the right thing. It's difficult to change them. So they've been here for four to six months doing this one thing and didn't know that it was not the right thing, still going fast. Then we tell them to change. They're like, I don't understand. Why? Yeah. But then they started to click. But they are you you sweeping the floor because it is your business. Exactly. You get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the doorway. So you've got to help them sweep the floor properly. Exactly. Yeah, and understand that in that moment, what they're, whatever, sweeping the floor, transferring from inside to outside, again, be fully committed to that. Yeah. It's not about getting outside. Like you fully committed to me being here and you got a thousand emails. Exactly. You, know, you could have easily stepped off. I thought that was, you told me that this is really what I want you to be helping with, but you stayed too. And that was really good. I think it was important for your staff to see that you were involved with that without mm-hmm. telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was great. And yeah. we're, we still got one more today. We still yeah, we saw the day. Yeah, which is which is cool. I almost wish we were recording this podcast later because so far every day has been been better than the last. So um, we've had so many cool experiences already. But then we still have today. Today's gonna be a good day. Um, and then you fly off after that. But yeah. um, but every time. I, the first day was rough. First, first day, day was rough, rough on yeah. every one of these yeah. things. And yeah. I think I think I even told you, dude, it, it, trust me, mm-hmm. trust me. I do this, it'll get better. 
Uh, and it always does right at Wednesday. It's like now we make it's like that roller coaster. You kick, 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 kick. Oh, there it is. Yeah. And you start going down and and enjoying everything. But Monday was Limboki on the edge. Oh yeah. And my discomfort was not secure. Can I go back to my house and and just look at the edge? You know. Um. And so we did. We had a little. Yeah, it got, it was a little bit, you know, we had to figure out where each other were coming from mm-hmm. for a minute. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, we rolled through it and, and we got where we needed to be. It was good. And we good literally experience. told each other that, in, I mean, last night we had that understanding of your security and my, the risky edge. We literally had those conversations. We just weren't listening. Cause I, I said, well, I like to do my mazes from the inside out. Yeah. I like to do the deep end. If I can do the deep end, I can walk on water in the shallow end. I do everything on the edge. And you're, you were constantly saying, well, why can't we just do this? Wouldn't it help better yeah. do that? Wouldn't it be easier? Yeah, wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be a little so bit smoother? We, wouldn't it be? I mean, it was inevitable we were gonna have that conversation last night. Sure. Because we were telling each other, which we weren't listening. Yeah. yeah. We mean, we were respectful just not listening to what each was, other was um, saying. I think it needs to happen. It's like we talked about in socialization, how um, one of the things I think we both agree on that we both do, that um, I don't always see, socialization has become popular, more popular, I think it's good. Um, you know, 10 years ago, very few trainers were socializing difficult dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was daycares and stuff, but when it came to like a dog who's dog aggressive, most of the professional world, um, if you look 10 years ago, was okay, you're in a downstay, you're in a downstay, you're mm. near each other, cool. It's social. <laughs> right? But it wasn't free interaction. And then when you look at, okay, now there's a lot of people that are doing socialization, which I think overall, awesome, right? Like, great. Um, but a lot of it is so structured. Rigid. And rigid. And um, it's a little bit too sterile. And one of the things that I think both you and I like to do in socialization is, and we, we talked about this, it's important to me when I'm working with a difficult dog, I'll keep it safe in the beginning, right? That's where I'm a little bit different, right? Yep. I'll, I'll take it a little bit slower in the beginning, but at a certain point, I need to let that dog find its limits with another dog. In other words, I need to see what happens when another dog tells this iffy dog, hey, that's enough. That's- and I need to I need to see that iffy dog accept that communication, and then I also need to see that iffy dog, you know, whatever. I'm just saying iffy because yep. it could be aggressive, it could be fearful, it could be whatever. I need to see that dog also be able to tell another dog, no, that's, that's enough, right. without taking it too far. To me, socialization means developing individual relationships, and that really it's by finding each other's limits that you develop those relationships, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want the dogs to really be, you know, I, I, uh, I read you that quote from Roger Abrantes mm-hmm. yesterday where he talked about, you know, dogs and other, you know, um, many other social animals get to know each other as individuals and it's through those rituals and it's through finding each other's limits that they start to know each other individually. You know, oh, you don't like getting pushed this way and that's how they develop their bonds. And he, he contrasts that, Roger Brontes contrasts that to rats who live in a group, but they don't actually know each other as individuals. They know whether they're part of the same group, yeah. but they don't really know like, oh, it's Lynn Bokey. Hey. No, that's another group member, mm-hmm. not another individual. And so, um, 
you know, we, we sort of commented that a lot of the socialization we see going on, while it's better than nothing, it's actually more rat socialization. Right. The dogs are in a group together, but they're not yeah. actually um, f- pushing each other and getting to know each other as individuals. I can't really speak to the experience of a young woman, um, but I know for myself growing up as a young man, um, with our friends, the, the people we were closest to are also the people that we've had conflicts with. You know, you're wrestling with your buddy and, and one of you just pushes it a little too far. Mm-hmm. Or you say something wrong and you have a little bit of a disagreement. But it's after that, when you come out of that experience, that you actually are closer, mm-hmm. you have a closer bond. I mean, look at our families, look at our, our even with my wife. You know, me and my wife, we have a phenomenal marriage. Um, but it's because we've been through ups and downs together. You know, we've we've been through those things, bonding and, through adversity. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and where I was going with all this to bring it back is, I think some of what our beginning of the week was. Yes, maybe we weren't fully listening to each other, or we weren't necessarily recognizing um, that the reason we disagreed was because we're viewing it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if we would have come to that realization and appreciated each other's um, perspective had we not, you know, um, push things to their limit a little bit with each other. I mean, you know, we had some discussions in the car on the way back mm-hmm. to the hotel that were like pretty energized. I mean, we weren't yelling at each other. I mean, they were friendly discussions, but, but they we were, were both very passionate that's right. about passionate. the position that we were holding. And we held each you know other's I mean? ground respectively. Exactly. And yeah. then I'll listen to yours, you listen to mine. And it really was... Yeah. But I think that was important. I think that was the only way we could get to the point where by like yesterday, you know, oh, cool, I I, I see what you're doing. I see where it's different for me, but I can appreciate it for what it is, even though I'm not gonna do it. Right. I'm still gonna do it the way I like. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I now understand why and where you're coming from and why you choose to do it that way instead of the way that I would choose to do something. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. That understanding. You take it all the way down to Danielle and, and her dog. If if she didn't trust me, it was difficult for her to trust me because of mm-hmm. day one. But she let go and mm-hmm. she trusted me. She was so focused on her dog, wouldn't allow it to do any of the things because she was so nervous about what it had done. She trusted me to let it go further and further to the limit. And we would not have seen that exact thing with the dog correcting her dog and him accepting it if we never let it get there. Yep. And she's seen her dog accept correction, um, but not from a male that's equal or larger in size to him. Small dogs, correct them, no problem. A female, no problem. But a male of equal or larger size, um, she had not yet gotten to that point of her dog being able to you know, put, I mean, it's a Malinois. It's gonna oh. push. It's gonna push other dogs' limits. So if you don't, if you don't ever allow that, you're never fully rehabilitating the dog. Right. You know. And so you see. And I'm not trying to knock anybody, but you see a lot of socialization. A bunch of dogs in a room, all walking in a circle, and all sticking kind of close to their owners, and not really interacting with each other that much. And it's it is better than nothing. Yeah. But it's not. That's rat socialization. Yeah, we're in the same group, but I don't know that that guy way over there. I've never actually met him before. I know he comes to the same group as us. I see him on the curve, but, but the, I don't know what his favorite color is. I yeah. don't know what his favorite food is. I don't know where he's from. I don't know what his mom's like. I don't. I don't know him as an individual. Mm-hmm. You know, I just know he's part of the same group. 
that's rat socialization. And again, it's better than the year in a downstay, year in a downstay. It's still giving those dogs the opportunity to be around other dogs. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm making a generalization. There, of course, are dogs within those those practices that are actually playing and stuff like that. But to take the dogs that are the bad ones and allow them to actually push another dog or be pushed and let them find those limits and let them come out of it on the other end and see that everything was okay, mm -hmm. that they were able to express their dominance or they were able to have another dog express, express its dominance towards them. Um, they were able to be around high energy play and, and they were able to walk up and experience it and not freak out and just allow those things and then they come out of it and they, that's the only way the dog moves forward. Well, it's the only way it happens. On that, my you you're, you would like things from safety. I like things from risk. We're talking about a big risk. Well, we meet at the same place. Right. You yeah, just well, start there, and I start here. You know, we're talking about the big risk of letting things happen with a dog. My safety side comes in and said, anybody that's listening, understand. You really want to understand. You really need to understand what the dogs are saying to each other. Don't just listen to us and say, well, Lynn and Tyler said to let them. Figure yeah, it out. No, 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 no. You've got to really understand. I can only do that because I've been working with aggression for 12 years. Right. You know, um, there's so. And, and, ex and almost exclusively, I mean, I. I mean, I, I, I used to do some obedience training. Nowadays, my facility does obedience training, and my staff's very good about asking me for guidance. Hey, I want to bring this dog into socialization, and I'm just not 100% comfortable yet. I, I would prefer you to be there. And that's my staff. Bear that's mind, the this communication is, that's important. They they feel comfortable to come to you. But the other important thing about that is, you look at, for instance, somebody like Amy, who has been with me for at least two years now. Um, but even prior to um, working for me, she was a shelter volunteer and brought several dogs through my training programs um, as a volunteer for the shelter. So she has a lot of experience within my system. And even two years working for me full time and being immersed in what we do is still saying, hey, the responsible thing to do, this dog's pretty, pretty, you know, aggressive, could be potentially dangerous. The responsible thing to do, take my ego out of it, is to ask for help. Well, there's a lot of trainers. And again, I'm not trying to be negative or knock anybody, but there are a lot of trainers out there that um, are hanging up their shingle and they don't have that much experience. They have less, they go they went to a training school for 12 weeks or if. they apprenticed for one year <laughs> or they trained their dog and then decided they wanted to be a trainer. Which, and yeah. that's okay if you recognize and you can be responsible and say, you know what? I've only been doing this for one year. I've only been doing this for two years. I shouldn't try to socialize an aggressive dog. I should refer that to somebody else who's been doing this a little bit longer. And watch or, and learn. Yeah, and come watch and learn. Or, you know, yeah, uh, actually seek out their guidance mm. on it. Because it's dangerous, man. Oh. It is dangerous. And um, it's not something you want to do uh, without without precaution, you know. Yeah, so just be careful. Uh, I'd rather you stick further back than trying to do something that we're talking about. It is important to see, and you can put muzzles on, uh, it is important to see that, I guess, threshold where, okay, now I know that, let's not let that happen right now. Mm -hmm. You almost have to see. Yeah. 
on the ball. The problem in order to be able to see it in the future and intervene properly. Yeah. And you don't need to see it with each dog. I mean, I think that's a misunderstanding, right? I can get a dog in for rehabilitation that acts aggressively at home. I could bring it into the training center. It may never show that same aggression when it's with me, but I can right. see the roots of the aggression, mm -hmm. even if it never displays the aggression. And to me, rehab, the dog sh hopefully in most cases shouldn't display the aggression if we play our cards right. It's like going to like drug rehab, right? You don't send somebody to drug rehab and expect that they're gonna have like an array of, you know, <laughs> Oxycontins and, yeah. and needles and uh, cocaine, and then they just wait for you to try and snort a line, and then somebody jumps out from behind a wall and slaps you upside the head. Yeah. Like, that's not rehabilitation. <laughs> rehabilitation is all about exposing and bringing somebody into a healthier lifestyle and then giving them the time to practice that so that that becomes the normal, mm -hmm. right? Um, but so with an individual dog, you don't need to see the aggression necessarily to understand the aggression if if you want to understand aggression as a professional at some point in time you have to be around aggression mm -hmm. you have to experience it or you'll never fully understand it um you and have that's to a experience tricky thing. it because you, it's going to make you afraid it's going to make you hesitate it's going to make you uh really d make poor decisions so you have to get past that uh, there's a, a thing i don't know what to quote or whatever the more you expose yourself to a perceived threat the less threatening it will be mm -hmm. And that's what I've done. I've got the holes in my arms because I know yep, <laughs> where to yep, go. And now yep. it looks seamless because yeah. I know. And bear in mind, you can expose yourself. I mean, if you want to work aggression, you can expose yourself to aggression and not end up with holes in your arms. Both you yes, and I, yeah. when we were younger, made the mistake of, um, because of our egos, mm -hmm. we didn't use muzzles as, that much. When right. I was young, when I was first starting working aggression, I had this big, I had something to prove. Um, and so I, I, as much as possible, tried to do it without putting a muzzle on the dog. And the problem on a number of levels, one, because just put a freaking muzzle on the dog, but two, because I didn't yet have the experience. Um, in situations where then I was getting bit, I could work those same dogs now without a muzzle and not get bit because now I see things mm -hmm. that I didn't see then. So I can anticipate. Always be ahead And of I behavior. can read the dog better and I can, I behave more subtly, so I don't push the dog to its limits accidentally. Um, uh, so, you know, there was that, that ego there, um, but just use safeties, use muzzles, have a chain link gate between the dogs, have, you know. You can take it further if you have those safeties. You yeah, can see further. Exactly. But it is an ego that I, I had the same problem. My mentor was Caesar Milan, so I'm right there. Why would I ever use the muzzles, right? I had a point where I had students come, where they, they would send me their videos so I could uh, analyze them or evaluate them. And I'm like, they're not doing what I told them to do. They were doing what they saw me do. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I had, to, I had to start asking clients to put a muzzle on a dog because I need to show the students that they can do that, that they should do that. Yeah. Yep. And everybody should start there. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I tell my clients, because, uh, you know, the inevitable question always with a muzzle is, well, when do I know that I can take the muzzle off? When do I know that I don't need it anymore? And, and my answer to that is use the muzzle until it feels almost ridiculous that you're still using exactly. muzzle. Exactly. Because if you're still going... I, I wonder if I can take the muzzle off, then you can't take the muzzle off. That's rule number two, if you're not sure, make sure. Yeah, exactly. Go longer if you have to. Yeah, it should be It should be absurd. It yeah. should be absurd that you're still you're like, using the muzzle. Why do I still have this thing on? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, slow down. 
slow down. I went fast, and I, I you went fast. We all, yeah. you know, everybody. We just talked about all the YouTube and and all the people who have the experience. Don't do the things that we did. Yeah, don't do it. You don't need to. Yeah. Yeah, nobody should get their start the way I got my start. <laughs> we were talking about your dog, and if you didn't, uh, if you were to get him today, you wouldn't get him because of his drive. Yeah, you're not yeah. at that stage in life anymore. Yeah, where, yeah. You know. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's uh, he's a great dog. I mean, he's nine now, so he's not a problem for me in any way. Um, he's a phenomenal dog, and he comes to work with me, and he gets activity and and uh, exercise. Um, but I'm not. Now I have two children, and uh, once once he passes on, I I, w- I won't be getting another Malinois because my life is not where it was when I got him. And to be honest with you, even if let's just say that right now my life I didn't have children, um, and I had the time and energy for a Malinois, a young Malinois. I mean, I've got the time and energy for him, but. A, Puppy Mountain wasn't a whole other ball game. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I still wouldn't get one now. You know, when I got Lobo, I was at a uh, a stage in my career where I was um, dabbling in sport work. Um, I was really invested in training my dog in focused healing, and um, I was training him through a lot of the exercises for French Ring. Um, I I thought at one point in time that I might want to compete in French Ring. Um, and I really enjoyed the process of training those exercises. And, uh, I learned a tremendous amount about how animals learn, how to break things down for them, Mm -hmm. how to fix problems, how to assess whether one solution might be better than another, even though they'll both get the same physical outcome, they might have a slightly different mental outcome. And, um, because sport training is very refined. It's very detailed in the obedience compared to pet dog obedience. And right. let, me, let me just clarify that I'm talking specifically to obedience because behavior is extremely refined if you want to get into rehabilitation. Um, and um, and over time, you know, I, I realized that that's not actually where my heart was, that I, I didn't. I didn't really have the desire to compete. I enjoyed doing that training, cool, um, but it's not where my heart was. And so um, because of that, even if right now I had the time and energy and da 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 da, knowing now that I'm, I have no intentions of doing sport work, I wouldn't get a Malinois, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, it, it's, it's like owning an F1 race car and you have no access to a racetrack or you have no intentions of ever going to a racetrack, why would you buy that car? Right. Um, except it's even different because the car can just sit in your garage, but a Malinois can't. Right. Um, and so, I mean, Lobo is an incredible animal. Um, if I couldn't take him to work every day, I wouldn't own him. If, if you didn't um, do what you did, that would not be a good work, thing. No. And that's a and big problem when people get a dog because they have an idea of a hobby or they have an idea that I want the best and then they go and get these dogs and then they can't follow through and then they become weapons. And the other thing that would be different, you know, that that you stated and I was like, oh yeah, totally, I'm I'm fully aware of that and I agree, is you mentioned, you're like, yeah, he's a really great dog. He's like, I I still think sometimes, you know, you could have him slowed down a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. 
Um, and I think part of that is, again, and we talked about this, when you get a dog, you know, and your intentions of why did you pick that dog, you know, that gets a little bit imprinted into them. Absolutely. And so when I got Lobo, I did have the intentions of potentially doing ring sport. And I spent a tremendous amount of the early years of our relationship. I mean, years of our relationship were focused on building drive building intensity, reinforcing speed, Mm -hmm. reinforcing assertiveness. Um, And so it's only been, you know, probably maybe an equal amount of time, um, if that, that I said, you know what, I actually, stepping back and looking at my life and looking at what I need from a dog, all of those things are actually counterproductive for what I really need from my dog right now. all of those things that I that I reinforced, not the the specifics of the behavior of like the heel or the sit or the whatever, um, but the actual the traits, you know, the traits of it, the assertiveness, the speed. Mm-hmm. N- those things. Now that I've okay, I'm not doing all that stuff. I'm my only focus is behavior. Um, you can't change that overnight the development of our relationship was founded on this is what I want from you in our relationship. That's mm. a difficult thing to change in a dog. It's you know, just because you decide to stop reinforcing it today, when you found your relationship on that, mm-hmm. that, in, in my opinion, is imprinted into the dog. And just like when something is imprinted in the early stages of its, um, of its life, right? Like we know that imprinted learning, there's a, there's an imprinting stage that, and that learning sticks and it's hard to change. I actually believe there's a little bit of an imprinting stage of our relationship. And when you get a dog and the intentions you have for what you're gonna do with that dog and why you got it, um, I think I think we need to take that into consideration as to why we might be having difficulties. So I've actually put a lot of effort into slowing him down. Um, there's a couple things I, I picked up on this week that I think I can tighten up a little bit more that'll help, but it's going to continue to be a process because that is imprinted learning of mm-hmm. what he thinks our relationship is supposed to be, and he does really well with it. I mean, he does. He, he's very. He does the things that I want him to do. Um, he just does them with a, a speed and intensity right. that's not really constructive to, um, you know, who I am. I'm not. A, I'm not a fast, intense person. I'm more of a laid back, you know, kind of guy. I'm not Safe. like a. I'm not a go to the club and you know party hard kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, he's a. He's. He thinks that our relationship is go to the club and party hard. Um, and so you know, yeah. So it's not just that I wouldn't have gotten him even if I got a Malinois today. I would start our relationship off very differently mm-hmm. and I would imprint very different things into him about what this relationship is gonna be. How we're gonna be able And together. I think that's really important also for people, especially professionals, because it's, I think it's a little bit less popular now, but there was a time, um, again, maybe 10 years ago or so, where it was really popular to have a demo dog. Yeah. And a lot of trainers were getting Malinois for demo dogs. It was actually one of the reasons that I started getting Malinois, Mm -hmm. um, because you wanted this flashy dog to show off what you can do to attract clients Mm -hmm. and to help make the sale and da-da-da. And... um, I just want people to think about that. Like, what do you truly want? My advice would be don't get the intense dog just because you think you need a flashy demo dog because you don't. Well, at a minimum, just get a dog with less physical energy than than you. Yeah. Or, if you look at your imprint thing there with yeah. your relationship with Lobo and we take it all the way to the client, 
and these clients aren't doing the things we're doing with dogs, they're imprinting their emotions, their lifestyle, everything. And that's where a lot of the problems come that keeps us busy because the imprint stages of their relationship are sadness and I got this dog because I just went through a divorce and I need to feel loved. Yes. I got this dog because I am a I am attracted to beings that need me. Right. You know what I mean? Codependent. Yeah, and um, and so it's the same. And so we have to look at that. What truly, truly, what was going on emotionally that made you want a dog? Well, he picked and me. that made you select that dog, and um, because those emotions and those needs, consciously or not is going to be imprinted into that dog and it's going to affect the way the dog behaves how many people i got this dog because um i was i was whatever and i feel the need to be protected well, why is mm-hmm. my dog lunging at everybody well you got <laughs> the dog because the you felt be... the need to be protected um, and every time you see somebody or something that makes you feel you need that protection the dog witnesses whatever's in the scene and experiences your concern. And so then it starts to make its own decisions on what it believes you're concerned about, unrealistic or not. Yeah. And that becomes a big problem. So you gotta be mindful of that and you you have to set the right intentions of, you know, what your relationship is gonna be. You know, it is about relationship. And, I mean, and yeah, and 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 so for me with Lobo, I set I set my relationship partly. Now he also simultaneously I was doing the sport training and this and that, but I also it was I got Lobo right when I started doing um, socialization with challenging dogs. So that was also imprinted into him, which is why when people watch him in socialization, he's such an interesting dog to watch because me and him learned how to socialize difficult dogs side by side. Yep. It was just as new to me as it was to him, and we were watching each other. And so I'll never have a dog like that again because I'll never be in that situation with a dog again where they're brand new to me. Socializing socializing difficult dogs is brand new to me, and socializing difficult dogs is brand new to them, and I'm brand new to them. All yeah, these things that were new, yeah, and that'll never happen again, um, but, which is why he's so interesting. And you saw how his effect on Bonnie. Right. You know. Let me ask you this, since you've changed your personal uh, goals and lifestyles to that direction, do you think, I mean, I have my opinion, but do you think that if you neutered him that he would slow down to your pace and still have the same abilities? Um, so I think he would still have the same abilities for sure. That ain't um, going away. He's yeah, dumb. That's, that's not, in his DNA. That's not changing. Um, I have often questioned whether neutering him would, would slow him down a little bit because I've seen in, in in my experience with clients, I've seen both. I've yep. seen situations where like, wow, we neutered the dog and what a difference. And I've seen situations where we neuter the dog and nothing really changes. Um, I don't really want to do a, a, an unnecessary Necessary, amputation of a body amputation part. Amputation of that part. Um, <laughs> and have him under anesthesia. It's more really that. It's like, okay. why why go through all of that? I, I have no attachment. Possible. I have no attachment to the testicles. It's not one of those things where I'm like, I don't want to cut his balls off. I don't care. Right. I don't care. He's not problematic for me. Like no, he's, you've got, he's, you've got he's, you know, he's, he chills out in the house. Like you saw the first day you came, he had been cooped up all day. So he was a little bit wild. But second day you were at my house, we went for a walk in the woods. We mm-hmm. were only in the woods for a half hour. But just that, he was a totally different dog. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, but the first day when you came to town, I had 
first thing in the morning, my son's soccer practice. Right after that, our, one of our friend's daughter's four-year birthday party. And then right after that, I came, picked you up from the airport and then brought you to my house. So yep. here's this dog that's been Andy. in the kennel all day. And then there's this new guy in the house. It was a little bit of a, he was a little bit annoying. Yeah. You know, he didn't well, even have a I walk. was annoying too, because yeah. I was cooped yeah. up on the planes. Um, and he didn't even have a walk that day. I mean, we, I have a big yard, you've seen, I have a large yeah. yard, but, but he didn't have any kind of like um, focused exercise at all that day. Um, but you've seen the difference, obviously, when he when he has his normal routine. Because Lobo, a lot of people don't know, Lobo came to me with some pretty extreme human aggression. I mean, if you went to pet him, he would skip your hand and go for your face. That's the kind of dog. And, and I'm not just saying that. Like, mm. that's literally what he did. Um, and he, even once I got him past that, he still didn't like children. But I, didn't, I wasn't really around children a lot, so it wasn't really an issue. And so when I had my own kids, it was a question mark. How, how was he going to do with them? And we took it very slow as far as exposing him to the kids. And it, he's great with them now. Oh, yeah. Um, but if if that wasn't going well, probably one of the first things I would have done if you know I was do, I was trying to work with him and it was, I was having issues, I probably would have neutered him. That would have been one of the steps I would take because that's important enough that, yeah, it's a question mark. But if this doesn't get resolved, he's got to go because right. the kids come first. So that would have been a situation where I would have neutered him if I had an issue between him and the children. Uh, a lot of people do think if I neuter the dog, it'll change everything, and sometimes it does, but it's been my experience on those ones where it needed a change. If you rehabilitate them before, you get them down as close as you can, uh, not exhaustion, but completely drain their body over the course of a few weeks and really get in there and change everything and then neuter them, you have a better chance of of having it that happen where he calms down. Interesting. But when yeah. people take the dog and it's described uh, like Lobo, skip your hand, go for the face, and then neuter him, we didn't do anything to change yeah. who he yeah. was because yeah. the hormones are there. You can imprint a new uh, way of being and then remove the the, the testicles. Then that smooths out. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. been my experience. Yep. Um, and you guys, your relationship are, is great. I see uh, how well you guys communicate. Mm -hmm. I told you I would slow him down in these areas because yep, yep. he does get impatient. Yep. Yeah. But you've done a, a, a job better than most in the sense that even though he's that intense when he's meeting, you have control of his actions and he's he I think he believes I'm gonna go as far as I can because my dad wants me to and he's gonna tell me when to stop well he's he's Linboki on four legs right he, he goes <laughs> in the deep end yeah, and then yeah. he and I had our little conversation yeah. too yeah. that was interesting yeah. yeah like I you let me do my thing with him and I just met him yeah yeah and he was there was this point where he was confused yeah and he's like my, my my baby human is right there and that guy is here too what should i do yeah and uh once he worked through that we were yeah you're solid fine. yeah yeah and to be clear when you say that you guys had your thing there was no it wasn't like lobo was aggressive towards no, you or anything like no, that no. he was just trying to manipulate you yeah he's, he's a dominant dog so he was trying to control your interactions and you were not allowing him to control the interactions and he's not used to somebody other than me being that assertive with him so it just sort of threw him off. Yeah. And it's not like he was growling at you or anything no like that. Way. He just had this look on his face like, what, what the hell do? is going on here? <laughs> um, and it was just, it was funny. I was like, I was kind of secretly chuckling. And then even at one point I got up to um, go to the bathroom with Max when Max had to go to the bathroom with my son. 
and uh, Lobo followed me. He left you and came and followed me. And he had this look on his face like, Dad, Dad, can I just go lay down over here for a minute? And I was like, yeah, go in your room, lay down. Cause, yeah. you know, the dogs <laughs> have their own room. Uh, go in your room, lay down for a minute while I do the potty thing with Max. And then he came back in the living room with us. Um, but he, I could see this look on his face when he followed me in, like, okay, I'm just gonna stick with you for a minute. Yeah. Like, uh, that was, oh, well, wow. <laughs> like, he was a little bit, like, he was a little bit out of sorts, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but with that you know, interaction that we had that, that well, it was, time. Well, it was, it was what you did with Lobo on Saturday was what happened with my staff on Monday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the same thing, you know? And then what, what happened uh, Who's this with, new guy that's here? Lobo? Why is he kind of pushing us a little bit? I don't really understand what's going well, on push, right now. You know? I push, I push. Yeah, yeah. But that's the, I'm doing the same thing that you do with I want to see where the breaking point, I want to see where it is. And then now I know everybody's pattern. And the breaking point was you being very uh, respectful and concerned for your staff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you you uh, changed the, the, the direction of my intensity from them to you, which is very responsible. Still well, got the leader. Right? Yeah, you're the so leader. For me to sit back and let them suffer would have been poor leadership. <laughs> but on for my me, part. I gotta throw them into the deep end and see. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, it, I think we handle it really well. And uh, the point is, is that even with Lobo and the staff, right after the the big thing with Lobo, I could talk to him from a distance. Yep. Yeah. And then same thing with the staff. You know, that was intense for everybody. When I say intense, you know, it wasn't. Uh, there was Pleasant, just a lot but, of confusion, yeah. and then they started to trust. Yeah, and then, then it really yeah. smoothed out. Yeah. Moral of the story: Don't get a Malinois yep. unless you plan on doing some sort of, unless you're serious about doing some kind of sport or some kind of work with the dog. If you're just, you think you might enjoy sport work, then don't get a Malinois yet. Yeah. Get a get a dog that if you decide you don't enjoy sport work that that dog's still a good fit for your lifestyle. Even though I don't do sport work, he still is a working dog. He has a job, oh, yeah. but his job is to help other dogs. And and as you've seen, he takes that job really seriously. He like he, the, the Malinois obsessiveness, because Malinois are sort of bred to be obsessive compulsive um, and, and have addictive traits to them. Um, he targets his obsessiveness instead of into obsessively focused healing until my handler gives me a ball. When he, pinpoints that a certain dog is unstable he will not take his focus off that dog until, until they stabilize yeah. i mean he is just committed to that he process whereas i've had dogs in the past that they go oh you're unstable i'll check in with you next month yeah you know and they, they don't they don't push he does that and i think that you, you talked about uh focused healing you have directed him into a whatever you call a parallel of healing by focusing I'm allowing you to do this. Yep. I'm allowing you to do this. I'm allowing you to do it to this intensity, to this duration. And so he's learned what you want from him. Mm-hmm. And it was so it's so natural for him anyway yep. to be that way. But by allowing him to do it, he now understands his job. Yep, yep. And he's naturally very social. Um, even though he was aggressive to new people when I got him, he was extremely social once he, once he, once he um, was familiar with people. So he's genetically a very social dog. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, a good retriever is born wanting to retrieve and you just shape the retrieve, yep. right? So that they, when they're, the, the, as soon as they can run, you can throw something and they're gonna go get it without training if they're a good well-bred retriever. So he genetically wants to socialize and then through 
again, that experience where right when I got him was right in the period where I was first learning how to socialize difficult dogs. And so his natural desire to socialize with dogs got shaped into a specific task. Yeah. Now it's not just something we do for fun. We do this for work. That's right. You know, and so and it, was, it was cool. takes it on like a, a joy. And yeah. What do they say? If you love your... Uh, love what you do. You don't. You don't work, work a day, and yeah. so yeah. he loves it. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got it for. He's got his routines. I, I'm here, guys. So I have to mark every inch of this everything thing. Everything in the yard. Everything <laughs> that has been marked. I've got to mark it. But he's not out there digging up the with his back paws. He's just like no. that one, that one, that one, that one. Now, just to reinforce that it's all mine. Let me say hi to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is amazing to watch the 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 dogs that are so nervous and insecure around everybody when he gets in there. They just come to life, mm-hmm. and their tail comes up, and they're bright. He's yep. he's got that yep. amazing qualities. Yeah, he's often with insecure dogs. He's often the first dog they'll play with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's beautiful too. Play with beautiful. Yeah. And then you see the same traits in that that tan pity Charlie. Yeah, that comes to us. And I said he's about three. He's starting to be mature now. He's sort of second fiddle to Lobo, um, but when Lobo's not there. Same thing. Charlie is often the first dog that a nervous dog will play with because he brings that, the same he energy. Studies Lobo. Yeah, Lobo studied you. Yeah, so it only makes sense. Yeah, so he brings the same he brings the same energy into the the group. But he's at an age now where, um, you know, my my more new daycare staff they're less experienced. They're not a hundred percent sure how to deal with him starting to express his assertiveness in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's what we're sort of working through now is helping the staff understand, um, just like I told you, like I can't leave Lobo in daycare with my newer staff. Right. He'll actually start, he'll get snappy at dogs yeah. if he's not with somebody that really understands. Well, he senses that the authority doesn't yeah. have the exactly. authority. Exactly, so then, he's, then he takes it into his own hands. When yep. I'm there, he doesn't do that. Um, when my more experienced staff is there, when my trainers are there, he doesn't do that. Um, and Charlie, we gotta now watch him. He's at an age where, um, because I have some newer staff, we've gotta do some coaching. It's a good opportunity to coach them. Um, he's not doing anything acutely wrong, right? But he's starting to control their dog's space and lean into them and do these things. Or the dog be laying down, will come over and sit on him, you know? And they <laughs> see that. And it's not like you're gonna like give a dog a wallop of a correction because it like sat on a dog or leaned into their space. So they're going, well, I, I don't, feel comfortable correcting this I don't know what to do and it really has more to do with how are they behaving in general mm-hmm. with the dogs are they truly in control of that yard because if if they're truly in control of the yard Charlie won't do that so what's interesting is when he first started acting that way they actually told his owner hey do you mind pulling him out of daycare so you're asking about like we have like you know we can help somebody if their dog's not doing well in daycare we pull him out of daycare we bring him into day training which is similar to daycare drop off in the morning pick up in the evening special ed but the dog's not in general pop all day he's in a kennel and a training staff brings him out well the problem with that was because the staff wanted my help with what do we do with charlie when he acts this way he won't act that way when I'm in the yard. Right, I know, that's right. Right? So so it's not that I've ever corrected him for it. I've never corrected him for anything like that because I've never even seen him do it because when I'm in the yard, he won't do it. That's why video is because so Because when I'm in the yard, there's an authority figure. And with the newer staff, they're just not at a place. It's not their fault. They're just, it takes time to learn. If you've never you know, worked groups of dogs before, they're not at a place yet where the whole group fully believes in their authority. 
you know, yeah. and that's why he's doing it. So the solution isn't in what do we do in the moment that he leans on a dog like that or pushes another dog, just pushes them out of the way. What do we do when he does that? No, it's it's what you do the other 99% of the time, and then he won't do it. It's actually a great you know? way to study aggression because he's not aggressive. No. But he's it's the same body mechanics and, and it's ritualized aggression. Yes, so it's it's the volume is way low. So yeah. if you can see and interrupt that irritating thing that he's doing or yep. whatever, you, interrupt there, then you start to see that you can interrupt yep. aggression. And that's why I was relating that to the, the herding exercise that you were doing, you know, with the way you were moving the dogs around the yard. And I told them, I said, hey, if you want to practice on a dog, because you were saying, you know, practice when you don't actually need it, which I think is that's a phenomenal right. concept. And we use that in every other area of dog training, well, right? That's the like, best time to practice a skill you want to develop. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you don't you, need it. You, uh, you practice come when called in an enclosed room before you practice it off leash in the woods, yeah. right? So um, I said, hey, if you want to practice this, practice it on Charlie. Doesn't he? Doesn't matter whether he's doing anything wrong. That's right. Just control his just make him move i said if you start doing that with him he'll stop doing all the stuff he's yeah. doing yeah exactly you know it's just so pick the dogs that are the ones that are the more assertive dogs and don't wait till you need to inter- if you practice on those dogs you actually won't need to interrupt them doing things you don't like show them they won't how do the you things behave. you don't like you know this is how i'm gonna behave with you yeah. and down the line when things get intense and you start walking in I know what you're going to do. Let me back off. Yep. This is how we're going to work together. I think a lot of times, um, you know, dog owners and dog trainers, they they see behavior. I have this behavior my dog's doing. We'll, we'll continue to use Charlie. He's leaning on other dogs. He's pushing them out of the way. I want to change this behavior. And so we look at the behavior itself and we say, okay, what is the trigger for the behavior? Well, another dog's in front of the gate when there's a human coming and he pushes them out of the way. Okay. Yeah. We can change the consequences to either make that behavior stronger or weaker, right? Mm-hmm. That's operant conditioning, you know? What a lot of people miss is behavior is a function of the environment and relationships and individuals are part of the environment. If you change the environment, you can also change behavior without ever applying a specific consequence to that behavior. Again, you put a bunch of teenagers alone in a park at night and they're gonna behave a certain way, you park a police car on the corner, they're gonna behave very differently Mm -hmm. without ever applying consequences. There doesn't even have to be an officer sitting in the car. Just put the car there. Just put the car there. And so stop focusing on, I want Charlie to not push dogs out of the way, so when he does it, I'm gonna correct him in whatever way. Um, but say, but why is he doing that? And is there something I can change about the environment that all of a sudden he won't feel the need to do that anymore? Right. You know, so and then you never in. corrected the dog, but you ch- you you changed your relationship where now he goes, oh, you're in control of all these dogs? Yep. Oh, I don't need to do all this stuff That's then. Right. I didn't realize you were here. Okay, great. Okay, you've got yeah. this under control. Yep. Good, I can relax and go back to playing again. Yeah. You know? It's um, a big, it is a big problem with, with owners and their dogs some of them just need to hey you can retire you don't have to yeah. do this job anymore yeah. that you that nobody gave you they just think you need to do yep. and it's just that that one thing the relationship changing the the perception for the dog and mm-hmm. the human and then boom things go much smoother yeah um, but yes i think that uh, your staff is gonna have fun with the practice and when i say practice i'm not saying you're going over to dominate a dog you're just going over to uh 
make your You're presence just suggesting known. that they go somewhere else. Yes, that's this, it. Yeah. And if you do it only, if you only do it when they're doing something bad, then they can't learn. Yeah, you know, they can't yeah. learn how how you're going to behave, what yeah. they expect from you, what the problem is. They want to know why as well. Why yeah. are you doing this to me? Yeah. Why? Yeah. What can I do differently? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Should we wrap it up? Yes, we'll wrap it up. Tyler. Yeah, we don't need to whisper because you can edit. You can edit, you can edit, edit this stuff edit, out. Edit this up. I might even leave it in. Okay. Okay. But it was a great week. I, I know... Um, my staff just received tremendous value out of out of having you here for a week. So um, I know they were they are really happy with the experience. I think they're extremely grateful for the opportunity. But it was a good week, man. It was fun to have you here. We've talked about it for a couple of years now. We've been friends now for a couple of years, and um, uh, I came out and saw you at Caesar's place last year. It was I think, and and then um, so it was good to to have you here and and. You know, full circle. Yeah. You know? So uh, yeah. I love Buffalo, by the way. Yeah, it's a cool city. And uh, your family. Yeah. I was thinking I might get to go over and meet your family once, but I got to come over for a long period of time, two days in a row, and I was yeah, just we like, had dinner. Thanks for uh, for inviting me into your family. Let me watch the the magic. I can see the growth that they're gonna have based on this early imprint yeah. with you and your wife. That when Max saw that. Uh, his little sister might be upset and he goes over and would you like this yeah yeah right but yeah. then you know 20 minutes later he doesn't want her to have it but of course yeah, that's three point, yeah. it, it was <laughs> it was at that time and yeah. you let things like that happen just like with yeah. the dogs and you explain things to the kids when they are doing something that isn't what you want them to do you explain explain not tell yeah you explain why this is what what we do yeah. we do it this way because you know, yeah. and I'm just really impressed. Well, you mentioned that in, in the Responsible Educators podcast when you were, you were, when you were talking about me, um, you mentioned that one thing you learned early on is like I set really clear personal boundaries, yep. Yep. you know, like, you know, in my professional life, especially like when I'm when I'm home from working, if it's a work related thing, I'm probably not going to answer my phone. Right. Um, but now you see why. Yeah. I mean, you've seen you've seen what my home life is like and. That. You really, you do detach from everything and you are a father and a husband when you get there, not exactly. thinking about what you got to do tomorrow or yeah. what you missed today. That, yeah. It really came it's, through. It's a very, I've very, very um, carefully set my priorities when I had children. You sweep um, your floor as well. Exactly. Home. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. I'm fully committed when I'm there with my kids. I'm fully committed to being there with my kids. I'm fully committed to raising them in a way um, to set them up to be successful in the world. They're gonna and be, And that's sure. why I set those boundaries, because you know what, if, if Lynn Bokey's a little uh, annoyed that I didn't respond to his text right away, I don't give a shit. Right. Because, no offense, but compared to my children, of, you I'm don't no matter better. at all. That's right. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so yeah, but um, by but, the way, Max this morning said, um, you know, he asked who was taking him to, to school. We call it daycare school. So he was asking which one of us, because we take turns. He said, who's taking me to school today? And uh, my wife said, oh, I'm going to take you to school because we wanted to do this podcast early this morning. And normally I would take him on Fridays and she would pick him up because I usually work a little bit later. And he said, well, well, who's picking me up? And she said, well, I think I might be picking you up too. And he goes, well, I want daddy to come pick me up. And I was like, well, I might be able to, buddy. He goes, well, I want you to bring Lynn. And I said, I said, well, I got to take Lynn to the airport, buddy. And he got so sad. Uh, (laughs) He got so sad. He gets sad each time he dropped me off. I want you to bring Lynn to pick me up from school. That (laughs) that warms my heart. Yeah, it was really funny. That really does warm my heart. It was really funny. Beautiful children. Yeah. And that, I don't even know what, I'm stuttering because 
you know, having a child tell you that about me is is uh, incredible. Yeah, he's he's a good kid. He's got a heart of gold. He does. Yeah. So yeah, man. Mm, cool. All right, buddy. Let's get to work. Let's do it. Yeah.